As we continue now with our series in Zechariah, we were dealing last time with Zechariah chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. And it was in that chapter, at least those, those first verses of that chapter, that we had dealt with the shepherd's judgment, the shepherd's guilt, and the true shepherd rejected. And uh, under those three points, we had spoken last time about how um, God was pronouncing through the prophet Zechariah that judgment was going to come upon Israel from the north, and that uh, the current leaders of Israel, whether they be actual Israelites in charge of the various cities, or whether uh, God has in view here, uh, say, the kingdom of Persia, or other kingdoms that are in control of Israel at this time. In any case, these bad shepherds, or these bad leaders, are going to receive judgment from God because they are dooming the flock to destruction, as we saw last time. And we also see then that the Israelites actually seem to enjoy these bad leaders, which makes me think that the leaders were probably Israelites. They were probably in charge of the various cities of Israel or something like that. They were sort of sub-governors under Persia. And Israel actually preferred these bad shepherds to their true shepherd, Yahweh, because they liked these wicked shepherds. They were perhaps allowing them to sin more freely, or perhaps they were um, providing them some kind of freedom or benefit in, in some way. I'm, I'm not sure exactly of the details. But in any case, we learn from our text last time that the true shepherd, namely God, was rejected. And indeed, God wanted Zechariah to come and to try to shepherd the people as his sort of ambassador, if you will. But the people rejected Zechariah's shepherding as well. And so that leads us now into our text today, which is Zechariah chapter 11, verses 8, or excuse me, verse 9, through the end of the chapter. So 9 through 17. And so let me read that text for us as we're getting going with our lesson today. Zechariah chapter 11, verses 9 through 17. And I said, this is Zechariah speaking, by the way, and I said, I will not shepherd you, that which is to die shall die, and that which is to perish shall perish, and that which is left shall be consumed by fire with the flesh of his neighbor. And I took my staff, the one called favor, and I broke it, annulling my covenant which I cut with all of the peoples. And it was annulled on that day, and the poor of the flock who were watching me, thus they knew that this was the word of Yahweh. And I said to them, If it is good in your eyes, pay me my wages. But if not, then refrain. And they weighed out my wages, thirty pieces of silver. And Yahweh said to me, Cast them out to the potter, this magnificent preciousness which I have valued it. And I took the thirty pieces of silver, and I cast it into the house of God, to the potter. And I broke my second staff, that is, unity, to annul the brotherhood between Judah and between Israel. And Yahweh said to me again, Take for yourself the tool of a wicked shepherd, for behold, I am raising up a shepherd in the land, and those who are afflicted he will not pay attention to. And the young one he will not seek. And those who are broken he will not heal. And those who are miserable he will not support. And the fatty flesh he will consume. 
and their hooves he will rip off. Lo, that wicked shepherd has forsaken the flock. The sword shall be upon his shoulder and upon his right eye. His shoulder shall surely be ashamed, and his right eye shall surely grow dim. Well, this is God's word for today. Let's pray before we start to break down this text. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for Zechariah. We pray that you would help us to understand this passage, Lord, and help us to, to hear the message of the prophet and also to apply it to our lives. We pray that your word would be spoken in truth today. In the holy and precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, like I mentioned a moment ago, we have, um, it's just setting the context here for a second, we have ourselves in a situation where Israel has rejected God as their shepherd, and they've rejected the sort of um, object lesson that God established. You remember that I, that uh, we talked last week about how Zechariah is, sort of went on a one-man protest, right? And he had his two signs, right, or his two staffs, if you will, uh, the staff favor and the staff unity. And they both symbolized various things. One was the staff of God's favor on Israel, and the other one was the staff of the unity of the 12 tribes of Israel, the unity of them and their peace. And, uh, and uh, Zechariah exposed the bad leadership. He preached the word, or he, he did something that, that definitively destroyed in the minds of of uh, those who were interested in the truth, the credibility of the false leadership or of the bad leadership, the bad shepherds. Now, that's what Zechariah did in our text last time. And you remember that at the end of last time, we had seen that Israel refused to listen to Zechariah. Now, that's not to say that every single person refused to listen, right? Of course, there were there were, of course, elect among them, and those probably did hear the word of God. We're going to hear about some exceptions here that did hear the word in just a second, that did listen to Zechariah. But by and large, the general populace of the nation of Israel did not listen to Zechariah. They refused to listen. And that's where we jump in here in verse 9, because here is Zechariah's response. He says, I will no longer shepherd you. I'm not going to shepherd you anymore. And so Zechariah uh, goes into a pronouncement of judgment, and in verse 10, he annuls the covenant. He annuls the covenant that he made with them. He says, I broke the staff called favor. And he broke it, annulling the covenant that he had made with all of the peoples. And so in breaking the staff of favor, he's saying, God's favor is no longer upon you. You will no longer be receiving the favor of God because you have refused to follow him. You've refused to accept him as your true shepherd. Now notice what happens in verse 11. So it says, on that day, right, the covenant is annulled. And then look at this this interesting comment here that Zechariah makes. He says that the poor of the flock who were watching him or who were observing him thus knew that it was the word of Yahweh. Now, you may notice, depending on your translation, I didn't check all the translations here, but I did look at the ESV. And if you're using the ESV, you'll notice that in verse 11, it doesn't say the poor of the flock. It actually says uh, the, the traders of sheep or something similar to that. You may see that in your ESV. You may see that in, in other English translations that you may have. I'm not sure what you're using. Um, but they translate it as sheep traders. 
Now, I am not sure why the ESV wanted to translate this phrase as traders of sheep, because the word there that they're translating as trader uh, is, is just the normal word that the Bible uses for poor or afflicted. Um, and I looked up this word to see if it had multiple definitions. It doesn't seem to have any different definitions according to the major lexicons that I consulted. And I tried to figure out why they translated it that way, but I'm not sure. So I don't want you to be confused here. But I do want you to know that I think that translating it as the poor of the flock is better here because it better captures the idea that Zechariah is trying to convey. And this is something that Calvin actually brings up in his commentary on Zechariah. He translates it as the poor of the flock. So I feel like I'm standing on pretty good ground here if I can go with Calvin on this. Even though I have utmost respect for the translation committee of the ESV and so on, um, I just don't understand what their reasoning is for translating it this way. Uh, and you may also be thinking to yourself here, okay, why does this matter? Why are we spending time on this? Well, here, here's what Calvin wants us to understand here, and I think he's right in helping us see the meaning of the passage. You remember that one of the distinctive markers of the bad leadership of the poor shepherds that we talked about last week is that the bad shepherds were bad because they were using their position of leadership in Israel to accumulate wealth and power for themselves. They did not have the good of the Israelite in mind. Rather, they had the good of their own personal prosperity in mind. And we talked a little bit about leadership last week when we were looking at this passage to make it clear that that is not the task of a leader. The task of a leader is not to figure out how we can accumulate things for ourselves. Now, there's nothing wrong with pursuing success and, and, and um, prosperity and those sorts of things, right? But, but the point of a leader is that, it's, that the leader serves his subordinates. The leader serves the ones who are uh, in submission to him. And so that's an exactly the opposite of what Israelites leaders were doing. They were trying to accumulate wealth for themselves. And because they were doing that, they were blind to the word of God. Their wealth, as Calvin sort of puts it, was essentially blinding them from seeing that Zechariah's object lesson with the two staves and his preaching of the word was the truth. They were blinded by their pursuit of wealth. They were blinded by their pursuit of prosperity. Again, there's nothing wrong with pursuing wealth or prosperity or wanting to be successful in business or successful in one's career, that sort of thing. There's nothing evil about that. But it can so quickly and so easily become evil when it is made an idol and when it blinds us from seeing the truth of God. And so in stark contrast to the bad leadership who is blind to Zechariah's preaching of the word, we are told here in verse 11 that it was the undistracted people. That is, in this case, the poor of the flock. That is, the, the people in Israel who were not distracted by the same things the leaders were distracted of, who observed Zechariah and saw that what he was preaching is indeed the word of God. Now for the millionth time, the scripture does not teach that rich people are evil and that poor people are good, okay? There are uh, poor people that are very evil and there are rich people that are very good. 
There are wonderful wealthy Christians in the world. There are wonderful poor Christians in the world and everything in between. All right, Zechariah's point here is not that we just need to get rid of all of our stuff and then we'll be able to follow the word of God. No, don't get that from here. All he's trying to do is draw a contrast, a contrast that says, don't be like those wicked leaders that are just pursuing wealth for themselves. Notice how these poor people who seem to be the lowest of the low in the world, the most worthless people, if you will, they're the ones who are seeing that this is the word of God. And let that be a lesson to us. No matter how much the world tries to tell us the definition of success and the definition of, of the, the great person or the ideal person, we should never let our own idols or our own passions usurp the authority of the word of God in our lives or blind us from hearing the truth of God preached to us in the pulpit or wherever else that we may hear it or in our own private reading of the word. Never let idols or things in our life take the place of God's word. Zechariah continues here in verse 12 with further pronouncement of judgment against these guys as he's breaking the first staff here. Um, Verse 12, and I said to them, if it is good in your eyes, pay my wages. So remember, Zechariah was taking on the role or the, the acting of a shepherd in his protest with his two staffs. He took on that role. He now tried to shepherd the people. And now he's saying, all right, I'm done. Now pay me my wages for what shepherding I did do. And the people, they weigh out his wages. And what does it come out to? 30 pieces of silver. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone on the street came up to me and said, here, here's 30 pieces of silver, I'd feel kind of rich. I'd be like, oh, silver, wow, precious metal. Here we go. Let's invest in this stuff. Um, But 30 pieces of silver in Zechariah's day, right, is not, not very special. In fact, 30 pieces of silver is actually just the payment for a normal day's wages for a peasant. It's a very small amount of money. You know, 50 bucks or something like that. Very, very small. Probably not even 50 bucks because it's in the poorer areas. So it's just, it's not much money at all. Okay, 30 pieces of silver is an insult payment. And it's, it's quite funny when God starts speaking in verse 13 and he says, Hey, Zechariah, here's what you're going to do with this money that they paid you. You're going to cast it to the potter. You're going to throw it at him. You're going to give him the money. And the reason for that is because the fact that the people of Israel are paying Zechariah 30 pieces of silver for the shepherding work that he did indicates how little they valued his shepherding work. In other words, not only are they willing or unwilling to, to listen to him, and not only are they unwilling to be shepherded by him as God's representative, therefore rejecting God, but they value his work so little that they pay him almost nothing for it. That's the object lesson here. And God says, all right, they're going to pay you in peanuts? Fine. Cast it to the potter. Now, the potter was a very low-income profession in Zechariah's day. I mean, potters didn't make much, and it wasn't an honorable position. And so the idea is that The wage that the people paid Zechariah was so worthless that not only is it an insult for Zechariah to accept it, but rather it needs to be cast and thrown at one of the more meager professions in Zechariah's day. Given to the potter. Give it to the peasant. 
he's the only one that's worthy of a payment like this. And it's kind of funny as God is speaking here in verse 13, because when he says cast it to the potter, he then says that it is a splendor of preciousness. He, God himself refers to the, the 30 pieces of silver as a splendor of preciousness. And I find it funny because he's being heavily sarcastic. The 30 pieces of silver is nothing splendorous. It is nothing magnificent. There's nothing precious about it. It's the pay, payment for a peasant. The people have insulted God, and they have insulted God's ambassador by paying such a ridiculous price to reject his shepherd. Now, maybe you haven't thought of this yet. Maybe you have. But let me draw your attention to the fact that there was another shepherd in the Bible who was rejected for 30 pieces of silver. Well, his name was Jesus, actually. Jesus, our wonderful shepherd, was rejected for 30 pieces of silver because that's what Judas was paid to betray Jesus. And so isn't it sort of ironic and sort of a, an interesting typology here that Zechariah, the ambassador of God, was rejected in his shepherding work for 30 pieces of silver, and so was Jesus. But you know what? As we keep going here, the, the connection between what's happening in Zechariah's rejection here and what happened to Christ gets even stronger. All right? Look at verse 13. And Yahweh said to me, Cast it to the potter, this splendor of preciousness, which I have valued from before them. And I, and I took the 30 pieces of silver, and I cast it in the house of God to the potter. Notice the connection here between the 30 pieces of silver and the potter. You know what's interesting? Matthew records for us in, I believe it's chapter 27, that when Judas realized what he had done in betraying the Son of God, Judas took the 30 pieces of silver and cast it before the priests and the Jewish leaders. And guess what happened with the money after he did that? The Jewish leaders took that, those 30 pieces of silver and they purchased a field. And the name of that field was the potter's field. The potter's field. And Matthew, in chapter 27, when he narrates this event, that the Jewish leaders went and purchased that potter's field, Matthew says explicitly that this was to fulfill the prophecy of the prophet Jeremiah. And what then what Matthew does is he quotes from Jeremiah chapter 19 and mixes into that quote a paraphrase of Zechariah 11, which is what we're looking at right here. And so um, what Matthew does is he quotes Jeremiah, but then mixes Zechariah in there because Jeremiah is a more well-known prophet. And so what, what Matthew is doing there is he's saying this prophecy in Zechariah was fulfilled in those events of Judas and the purchasing of the potter's field, which I think is pretty, pretty amazing. That's quite the connection to make. Matthew must have known his Old Testament really well. And it shows us that the events here are pointing forward to the coming of the perfect shepherd, who would also be rejected for 30 pieces of silver, but would nonetheless still be the savior of God's people. All right, so that is the breaking of the first staff. 
the breaking of the staff of favor. God's favor is no longer going to be on the people because they have rejected him as shepherd and they've rejected Zechariah as God's shepherd ambassador, if you will. And now we come to verse um, 14 of our text. And here Zechariah breaks the second staff. He says in verse 14, And I broke the second staff, or my second staff, the one called unity, to annul the brotherhood between Judah and between Israel. So the one staff of favor, Zechariah broke. Now he's breaking the other staff, the one called unity. And this is the staff that symbolizes the unity of the 12 tribes. You remember, unity of the 12 tribes of Israel was important because they weren't always unified. Remember, after Solomon's death, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel split. And you had the ten tribes of Israel in the north as their own separate kingdom under uh, Jeroboam. And then you had the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, under the reign of Rehoboam. You can read about this in 1 Kings if you want. And that, that uh, separation between the two kingdoms lasted all the way until the Babylonian exile in the middle of the 6th century BC. So it was a good 400-ish years that Israel was separated as two different kingdoms. And after the Babylonian exile, when all the Israelites came back to the land of Canaan after being set free by uh, the the Persian king, uh, they were all sort of united again. They were unified in a way. Not officially as their own kingdom, because they're still under the kingdom of Persia, But nonetheless, they were still operating with a kind of unity after that. Well, now, with the breaking of the second staff, this unity, God is prophesying, or I guess Zechariah is prophesying too, that this unity will be temporary. This unity is going to end. The people of God are going to disperse. They're going to be scattered. They are no longer going to be one people in one place. This is uh, very significant because that of course is exactly what happened in history especially after the romans came in in 70 a.d and just annihilated the city of jerusalem and the surrounding area so we have here another prophecy of something that's going to happen something bad that's going to happen and then we come to verse 15 and now here we're in the third section of this passage uh the first section was the breaking of the first staff second section was the breaking of the second staff And then the third section now is the promise of a new shepherd. And really, we wouldn't want to call this a promise, because promise usually means something good. This is really rather the curse of the coming shepherd. Because in verse 15, uh, it says, And Yahweh said to me again, Take for yourself the tool of a worthless shepherd. For behold, verse 16, I am raising up, a shepherd in the land. Now, when I was first reading through this text, I thought, oh, here we go, a prophecy of Jesus, right? God's going to raise a new shepherd, one that's going to be better than the old shepherds. Well, actually, no, this is not a promise of a new shepherd that's coming that's going to be good. Rather, this is the promise of a new shepherd that's coming that's actually going to be a bad shepherd. Because here's what he's going to do. Those who are miserable, he will not pay attention to. And the young he will not seek. And those who are broken he will not heal. And those who are miserable he will not support. 
So there's a lot of things that this guy is not going to do. This new leader who's coming, he's not going to be someone who saves the weak. He's not going to be someone who cares for the miserable or someone who tends to the broken. These are, of course, all things that Jesus does, but this shepherd that's being described is not going to do these things. This is going to be a bad leader. A bad leader. And what is he going to do positively? What's he going to do in the affirmative? Well, he's going to consume the fat portion of the meat. He's going to assume the flesh of fat, and he's going to rip off their hooves. That is, this new shepherd is going to be nothing else than a ravenous lion who just rips apart, eating the very choicest parts for himself and leaving the rest to rot. That's what's being described here, a lion ripping an animal apart. And what's the result of of this new leader's work? Well, here it is in verse 17. Lo, the wicked shepherd will forsake the flock. The wicked shepherd will forsake the flock. So this new shepherd's going to perhaps even be worse than the current shepherds that Israel has in the time of Zechariah. So this is the result of the people of Israel rejecting God as their shepherd. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. As we talked about last week, the forests of Lebanon are going to be destroyed. That great forest is going to be leveled by judgment coming from God. And it's going to result in the flock being forsaken. That is the people of Israel being forsaken. They won't be taken care of. And they merited this. They brought this upon themselves as God's judgment. But of course, even though God is going to bring this new shepherd, he's raising up this shepherd, that doesn't mean that everything that this shepherd does is condoned by God, right? The she- this bad shepherd, this wicked leader, whoever he is, is still responsible for his sin. And so judgment is going to come upon him too. The sword shall be upon his shoulders. Look at verse 17. And upon his right eye. And his arm shall surely be ashamed. And, the, and his right eye shall surely grow dim. You can see that not only is judgment coming upon Israel for rejecting God as their shepherd, but also judgment is going to come upon this wicked leader for his wickedly leading, if you will. And so all of this judgment happened when Israel as a whole refused to turn to the Lord as their true shepherd. Judgment comes and judgment came. Indeed, this is also what happened when Israel refused to turn to Jesus as their true shepherd. And correspondingly, this is also what happens when people today refuse to turn to Christ as their true shepherd. Judgment comes. Praise God that we as believers in Jesus Christ have avoided this judgment and we will not face it because we are held in the Father's arms. Not by anything that we've done, but rather because from all eternity it was all what He has done. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for Zechariah. We thank you for the message that you had for us today in this text. Lord, I pray that um, 
that we would always, in every way, turn to you as our true shepherd. Lord, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't be blinded by idols in our lives. We wouldn't be blinded by, by the pursuit of, of earthly things, even though the pursuit of earthly things is not bad in and of itself. But Lord, we pray that you would make yourself um, our true end and that you would turn our hearts to you. We pray all of these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.